introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. And uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is a special edition of the Pocket Protectors Podcast, the podcast where I get people way smarter than me to talk football stuff. And I'm joined with uh, my good friend and a new friend here to talk stuff about the Vikings, Kirk Cousins, Friends, whatever comes to mind. There's really nothing written down. We're freestyling today. So uh, we're going to go in a different order, actually, because we have special guests. You've read his work on the twitter.com vikings territory uh nick my man nick olson how you doing what's going on jason i'm good how you doing doing all right doing all right very happy to have you on because you are one of the uh the smarter voices on twitter you you do a lot of work you put a lot of work in and so uh excited to have you uh fill in the the very big shoes of of luke braun who's gone hollywood on us now and and does not have time (laughs) To come around and and slum it doing this podcast, so we're happy to have you on, and uh, yeah, it should be good times. And uh, look forward to it. Last but certainly not least, the good doctor, everyone's favorite degenerate, <laughs> Eric. How's it how's it going, yeah. man? How you doing? I I reject that label, uh, <laughs> even even as I carry you know a decent amount of Kyler Murray plus three hundred number one overall pick tickets, um, but yeah. Uh, things are going okay. Uh, this is a fun week. This is probably, you know, as off seasons go, probably the second most exciting week to uh, draft weekend. So really excited to see uh, what the Vikings try to do here with uh, their cap space and some of the needs they have. All right. Well, we're just going to jump right to it because, you know, Nick, I, I feel like of late you have become the the great defender of of kirk cousins or so it seems on 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 twitter.com uh feels like maybe every week every other week or so you do a deep dive looking at stats or maybe re-watching film posting clips and uh as you yourself have kind of pointed out it's a strange position for you to be in based on kind of where you were before the vikings signed kirk cousins in the first place because you yeah. were kind of out front saying, eh, probably not going to be the great idea for them to bring in Kirk Cousins. So help me out. Help me understand, I guess, from where you were initially, the uh, this is probably not the greatest move, to where you are now, where it seems like you are generally kind of out front leading the the charge, um, <laughs> I guess, on the statistical side of things, trying to uh, to say maybe Kirk Cousins isn't as bad as, as, as we're all saying that he is. Yeah, maybe it's the attorney in me uh, being a contrarian. But last offseason, Cousins... I did not want to sign him to a big deal. I was not impressed at all by his 2017 tape. Went back and rewatched everything, wrote an article, kind of let folks judge for themselves in that article. But you could read between the lines and see I was not a big fan of Cousins. And I wouldn't say my opinion on him from a football perspective has changed that much. Um, But I do think, you know, the pendulum swung, whereas last year people looked at Cousins' box score stats and they thought, oh, wow, you know, 4,000 yards, however many touchdowns, not very many interceptions, really productive in Washington, just didn't have a team around him. 
of course, he did have a team around him. He had a stack team around him and great offensive minds around him. But um, came to Minnesota and was a disappointment, um, at least by the win-loss columns, um, which is about as good a way to judge a quarterback as by his how many yards he throws, I suppose. But um, I think people probably overreacted a bit much. I mean, he's still probably like a top 15-ish, top 20-ish. I mean, it depends. There's a lot of good young quarterbacks and you know, wherever you want to rank like Sam Darnold or something, Cousins is probably in that range, but um, I don't know. He's he's a, he's a fine quarterback. Um, obviously, you probably want to have a cheap rookie or an elite top five quarterback on a franchise deal, but yeah, you could do worse than Kirk Cousins. So that's kind of where I'm settled in at. Okay, so yeah, you could do worse. That feels like a... That feels like <laughs> yeah, a, glowing, <laughs> glowing endorsement of Kirk Cousins right there is you could do worse. It feel it feels pretty fair though. So Eric, uh you could you could have Joe Flacco. It could be worse. Oh. Oh right. so Eric, uh obviously you guys have put a lot of work in. The uh, the QB annual did come out, and there's a ton of great statistical analysis in there about Kirk Cousins and all the other quarterbacks. But I guess if you could help maybe give us a summary of where Kirk Cousins is, you know, as of last season, and if that's changed, kind of your opinion on him for the good, for the bad, did he have a better season, worse season? Like, how does this Kirk Cousins season kind of, you know, rank or sit amongst all of the seasons that he's had uh, as an NFL quarterback? Well, it's interesting because I don't disagree with anything Nick said. I, you know, my thing is, so I obviously didn't like sweat through all of Cousins' 2017 Washington games the way that I did uh, the Minnesota games uh, this year. But, and I do agree to a degree that quarterback wins are a stat like yards, like touchdowns, like uh, give me another, you know, like fantasy statistic where there's some signal there, but it's it's not the way that I would judge a quarterback uh, if I had something better. And we could obviously do. Um, my thing, my issue with Cousins was always that when structure broke down around him, he became he went from being what I would consider a legitimate top ten quarterback in the NFL to a quarterback that's somewhere in that fifteen to nineteen range, and and with with the way that the Vikings sort of approached last offseason, I, I as Nick was, I was just super concerned with this idea that you know, we have the best defense in the NFL. We have a really good coach. You know, you know, we have this great up and coming offensive mind and all we need to do is plug and play cousins. And even if he's like, even a little bit worse than Keenum, here we go. Right. And of course, like that's so, that's so full of like terrible, like, you know, faux pas, a defenses, as we see, even though the Vikings defense is still fundamentally good, it regressed, uh, the, the great young offensive mind, we found out that the, the great offensive minds in Philadelphia were Reich and Peterson and not DiFilippo. Um, and then, like, you know, Zimmer, I think, is a, like, as a coach, like a very good defensive play caller. I think a top five guy there. But as a head coach, I think he's very much a front runner. We see in 15, we see in 17 when the team's going well, things snowball correctly for him. And like in 16 and 18, when things go poorly, they sort of snowball in the wrong direction for him. So, I think like a lot of people said, okay, these things are about the Vikings are fixed. And so if you insert cousins in there, it's just going to be, you know, we're just going to be a Super Bowl contender again. And what we saw was all those things broke down to some degree. And even though cousins was extremely talented, like some of the throws he makes are extremely beautiful. Like he, when he sets his mind to it, he's very accurate. He's, 
very functional, but he's not the type of quarterback that can withstand perturbations to his system. And then as such, I don't think he's worth the money uh, that, you know, that they're paying him. So like, for me, it's like, they're poor efficient from an efficiency standpoint, they're poor. And then like when that all broke down, he was like one of the bottom three quarterbacks in the league in terms of generating positive graded throws, which is just not a good thing. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the weird things that really happened with cousins is in 2017, he was, and Eric, probably your big time throw percentage and uh, negatively graded throws percentage might back this up. I don't have that offhand, but I feel like he was a lot more aggressive in Washington and, terrible under pressure and something and that was the narrative coming in and then this 2018 was kind of the opposite of that where he actually played pretty well under pressure surprisingly well uh, well enough that you might expect him to regress next year Um, but um, his play from a clean pocket was um, and this is the this is I think the point with Cousins that he doesn't get nearly enough criticism about is that he was just very conservative very risk averse checking it down um, and that led to a lot of drive stalling. So um, that was not the Cousins we saw in Washington, and I don't know if that's just from going to Gruden to DiFilippo or DiFilippo overcompensating for the offensive line. I don't really have an explanation for that, but um, I think if we want to criticize Cousins' 2018 play, it should start with how conservative he was and how well, he I, just was not making plays. Well, and I think that that has to do with his mentality, right? So, like, you're right. In Washington, he did take more shots downfield. His profile from being, you know, playing under pressure versus playing um, from a clean pocket did flip, which is weird because we know that one is a stable metric, one is generally not. Um, The latter, you know, under pressure is generally a function of your supporting cast, and the Vikings, you know, at least on the outside, have a pretty good supporting cast. So, you should expect that to regress a little bit. You know, it was very much like Sam Bradford in 16. Weirdly, he was under a lot of pressure, but his pass rating when under pressure was like 88, which is like second best in the league. So those are like things that like I think we overlook when we like poo-poo the Vikings, you know, supporting cast as poor as it is in some places. But, you know, when you look at like when you look at what, you know, in the second half of the season when things got you know, went poorly, he did not double down. He did not, you know, as you said, he got more conservative. He was one of, I think he was the only quarterback in the NFL who had fewer than 10% of his throws negatively graded, but also fewer than 20% of his throws positively graded. So I think in terms of negatively graded throws, only I believe Drew Brees and Pat Mahomes had fewer as a percentage of their passes, which is good. But, you know, from the perspective of like throwing positively graded throws, you look at like the new England game, you look at the, the Chicago game, like at some level, you know, the reason that Pat Mahomes and those guys are brilliant is because they can, they, they take a lot of shots and they know that that ratio is going to be like two to one, three to one. And it seems like cousins was just so scared that it was going to be one to one. He stopped doing those things. So um, that's kind of like, that has always been my hesitation. And then of course, like, it's just like some of the things that, some of the things that you hear that you read about and you see in terms of how he interacts with his teammates um, in contrast to how we saw them interact with Bridgewater and Keenum and so those types of things in terms of trying to predict the future for the Vikings, that to me, aside from his statistical profile is what and it's weirdly not analytical at all has me the most afraid about the Vikings franchise over the next few years in terms of having him as the, the person that's leading the offense. So am I hearing you both say that, uh, we actually want Kirk to be more of a gunslinger for us to be a more successful offense. Is that like yes, maybe definitely. some more, more turnovers potentially 
but more big plays and just kind of you know Honestly, ride that line. The turnovers thing, I, I think Eric, you might have the exact number, but his turnover worthy play percentage was among the Vic, best in the extremely in the low. And and that includes fumbles too. People think he has a fumble problem, but he had an above average fumble grade. The really the thing is he had five strip sacks, um, ten total fumbles, three were um, bad snaps, not really his fault. Two were throws behind the line of scrimmage. One was a dumb thing where he was trying to throw it away and it was actually a throw behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. One was a, a, a toss to Dalvin Cook that was dropped, that Cook dropped, and that's a fumble that gets charged to Cousins. Yeah. Five were strip sacks. And you think, okay, five strip sacks, it sounds like a lot, but that's actually, I think, below average, especially considering how often Cousins was dropping back. And then it felt like a ton because all five were recovered by the defense. Those are usually 50-50 balls historically. Yeah. And two were returned for touchdowns. So those are just backbreakers. And, you know, I think 7% historically of uh, strip sacks uh, are returned for a touchdown. So they have 40%. That's obviously um, – that hurts a lot more than you think. And it's um, memorable. And, had, and he had 10 interceptions. And I, I don't think – he might not have had a drop interception all year. So he kind of had bad luck that made him feel like he – was turning the ball over a lot, or maybe they happened at crucial moments, um, like the the Saints pick six kind of turned the tide of that game. Um, coincidentally, that I don't think is a play you would uh, punish Cousins for because Diggs stopped mid route. Um, so no, I don't, he didn't get a negative grade on that play. Yeah, so he 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 was pretty conservative and he took care of the ball pretty well. Um, but you would definitely want him to be more aggressive. Especially, well, and this is an interesting contrast with Case Keenum in 2017, is um, it makes sense. You know, you kind of want to throw to the open receiver and not take your chance on 50-50 balls, but that's not really the case when you have Stephon Diggs, who's the number one contested catch receiver over the past couple of years, and Adam Thielen, who I think is top 10. So um, you would want him to definitely be more aggressive. Well, yeah, because like one of the one of the things, so as you said, uh, Cousins was fourth best in terms of limiting turnover-worthy throws. He was... 20th best in terms of big time throws as i said before three he was third best in limiting negatively graded throws with 31st in positively graded throws so again not it's not this like we we remember some of his bad plays so much because they end up being catastrophic but ultimately in terms of producing them he's not so bad the issue again is that like some of the plays he makes are so sort of like kirky and and boneheaded that like he ends up you know, he ends up having a difficult time, like, just letting it rip, right? So, like, the, the stat that I brought out a couple days ago was on his 47 targets to Laquan Treadwell, they averaged 2.34 uh, yard uh, time to throw. And so he's, like, making the – he's, like, making the decision pre-snap to throw to Treadwell. And it's just, like, I don't know. I, I just don't necessarily know if that would be something necessarily that, like, a different quarterback would do or, you know, have maybe a little bit more discernment there. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think one of the things that, that I think is maddening about the way that Kirk played last season is it sort of takes you back to some of the other Vikings teams. So like, I, I remember like the first children's year where they had Brad Johnson and Brad was extremely limited and their offense was extremely boring and they would not, they were not efficient at all. Like, you know, the Vikings were 24th, I believe this year in EPA per pass play. So they weren't efficient play for play. And then you know, the fact that they didn't, you know, Brad didn't turn the ball over a lot and neither did Kirk, but then like when they did, it was so like asymmetrical, right? So like when Pat Mahomes turns the ball over, it's, you know, in addition to throwing three touchdowns in the game and being the most efficient offensive league. So it's like, okay, you take some of the good with the bad. When you don't add any of the good in 
or you're not efficient on a play for play down. And if you're in the case of the Vikings can't run the ball either, like those turnovers, however infrequent are backbreakers to your offense because you're just hanging by a thread to begin with. How much of this do we think is is Mike Zimmer? Because, I mean, a lot of the things you guys are saying that we want from Kirk Cousins is kind of what we were getting from, say, a Case Keenum that Zimmer didn't really seem to be on board with and that many of us were at the time like, oh, he can't keep kind of riding this edge. It's going to kind of go the other way and yeah. maybe next season is going to be a, a, a lot worse. I guess how does this factor into, uh, I guess, the way you uh, analyze or, or think about Kirk Cousins' performance just given – the way that, you know, Zimmer has kind of said he wants to win games and, uh, you know, Kirk kind of assimilating into that system. Well, I think I think that's why people found Keenum so endearing, right? Because, you know, the coach would go after him in the press and the, and would, you know, blast him at times for putting, you know, putting the team on the edge and everything like that. And he sort of stayed within himself and he continued to play the way only the only way he knew how to play, if you will. And ultimately, like that hurt them. But. I, I would say if you would have had Keenum sort of buttoned up, you probably would have gotten what he was with the Rams in 2016. So, you know, far worse. Uh, as Nick said, throwing the ball to contested receivers, you know, again, taking the good with the bad, it sounded, it does seem like Kirk, you know, sort of took some of what Zimmer, you know, intimated to the media to heart. And it ultimately was to his detriment, I think, in terms of like, you know, lacking, you know, explosiveness and efficiency in the offensive, you know, uh, you know, moving the football. Yeah. Although Zimmer did say, you know, he praised, I remember him specifically saying like, Keenum's got big balls and I love that about him, which is like one of those Zimmer quotes. So yeah, it would be, it would be to Cousins benefit, I think. And I think Zimmer would be on board. I think he knew, he knew that the offense was lacking explosiveness. So I don't know. I don't know how to fix the Vikings, but I think that explosiveness, that aggressiveness in the pass game and in the run game, is that's the number one thing I think on the list. All right, so Nick, uh, have you made it all the way through? I, I know that you are kind of tweeting out some of your thoughts, and and we're going to put them together into a, in a fully fleshed out article. Um, as you kind of look at, at you know, last season for Cousins, outside of maybe taking some more chances, were there any other big things that you were hoping to see him do a little bit different or do better to to kind of help the Vikings offense as we get into twenty nineteen? Um, aggressiveness is the number one thing. His pocket presence is not great. Could be better. You could improve there. Um, it's hard to knock him for accuracy. Um, he ended up actually charting as one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league. And part of that is, you know, completion percentage and next gen stats has a stat completion percentage above expectation, which factors in uh, average depth of target, receiver separation, distance from the sideline, those kinds of factors. He ranked second in that um, to Drew Brees. He, he actually he ranked third if you include Nick Foles. I exclude him usually because it just. Uh, Snap counts, um, and he he ranked really highly in, in Pro Football Focus's charting as well. So um, hard to knock him for accuracy. His arm strength—I mean, he could—he's not you know Pat Mahomes, he's not Aaron Rodgers, but his, his arm strength is fine. Um, I guess one thing that he's always struggled with is playing outside of a structure. He's kind of—if he gets a good pre-snap read, he knows what to do with the ball. He knows where to go. Um, if he gets confused by a look. I think you saw that a lot in the Patriots game where they were throwing very strange amoeba fronts at him and it kind of threw him off. Um, he, he tends to struggle a little bit more. So um, maybe that's another area of improvement. But I think if Stefanski improves, um, you know, the best case scenario is 
Stefanski builds up a scheme that looks kind of like what Pat Shermer was. And, and remember, Pat Shermer wanted Stefanski to be his offensive coordinator. So maybe that's some reason for hope there. Maybe that schemes Cousins into more aggressiveness like he was in Washington because we've seen Cousins be aggressive before. So I think if, if, if you're trying to build the best case scenario, that's maybe where it starts. How about you, Eric? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I think that's, a, you know, those are great ideas. I think, you know, what's nice about where the Vikings are sitting right now currently is that at 18, uh, they're likely, you know, it is as much as, you know, I, you know, would love them to, you know, take a valuable position like corner or safety or even like a, an off the ball linebacker who can cover and stuff like they're probably going to draft an offensive lineman at 18. That's pretty good. And so that, you know, really should help. And I, cause I do think like, you know, as much as a, a quarterback controls their own pressure rate to some degree, like it would be helpful if he, you know, I think there could be situations where a guy like Kirk in terms of like just confidence on a play for play basis, you know, just likes that assurance in front of him. So I think they'll get an opportunity there to show up the offensive line to a degree, but then, um, you know, they, they really, I think that they really do have to, address the third receiver i think that they you know with the rudolph news today that's a little disappointing but i think that they need to go out and get themselves uh, a field stretching tight end i don't know if i don't know if like this is the year to really go after jared cook and you know make a case that it's worth it to overpay a guy like that but you know he kirk was extremely effective in washington with two field stretching tight ends we you know we saw that in the game in 2016 and three receivers and the Vikings currently have two really good outside receivers, a tight end who's like sort of okay. And, and a running game that's, you know, and a, and a, the Nick's point, I think like Shermer did a really good job of incorporating the backs as really efficient, effective receivers in 2017. I think like that's where Dalvin Cook's going to make his most money uh, in Minnesota. So I think it's all, it's all of the above there. And, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be a suboptimal way that the Vikings can improve, uh, their offense uh, in 2019. You know, well, you just brought it up, so I uh, have to ask there. Uh, 18, from from your perspective, what is, like, let's say, you know, I'll ask the same question I asked uh, the guys on, on the, the Climbing the Pocket podcast. If, you know, Dillard, Noah Fant, and Bradbury are all sitting there at 18, what's the right move, Nick? Which way are you going to to kind of maximize what you're getting out of uh, out of this offense and this team? Um, I think, you know, the Vikings are in a weird position where they have the tackles locked down. That's usually your premium position. And I think this is, I know we said last year, but I think this is an even deeper offensive line class. There were like 10 more offensive linemen invited to the combine. I'm seeing like 25 guys with day three, day one or day two grades or something. So I, I do think, you know, Vikings Twitter is going to freak out if we take a skill player at 18, but I do think skill player would be the right way to go there. And I would take fan just because, uh, you know, um, what Eric was saying, I think in Washington, when we saw him have two tight ends, especially ones that could stretch the field, there was uh, the offense was benefited a ton from it. And I think someone like fan could do that for the team. So that's what I would do. And I do think you could get, you know, maybe not somebody as good as Bradbury in the second round, but maybe Risner's there or maybe one of the other, you know, five other starting caliber interior offensive lineman will be there. So, yeah, Dalton Reisner from everything. So we, we built this uh, projection system for offensive line uh, to use sort of in our, in our consulting role. And essentially I, in terms of what the Vikings want to do, Dalton Reisner is their best choice. 
Um, and, and not only, I think just fundamentally, but also in terms of like where he succeeded in college, uh, I think, you know, he'd be a very good pick for the Vikings. Um, if they could trade back and somehow get him in the, in the mid twenties, I think that that would be even more, you know, I think that would be even more of a steal for them. Um, fans, fans intriguing for sure. And I think if they, you know, if they don't open up enough cap space and if they strike out in free agency, uh, on somebody like Cook, uh, he could be a guy that they think about as well. The, the tough part with tight ends is, as you know, as we've seen before, is that tight ends in the draft. I mean, the Eric, it's so weird, but like the even even a guy like Vernon Davis, but we saw Eric Ebron this year. A lot of those guys like take forever uh, to sort of pan out, and that's, yeah. that would be my only hesitation with Fant is just you know the tight ends in the top of the draft. You know, their hits hit rates are you know pretty low usually. So um, I would say just kind of go all in on Jared Cook, to be honest. <laughs> I kind of struggle with taking – it's funny because when it comes to taking, like, defensive prospects, I'm totally okay taking athletes, especially on the defensive line because Andre Patterson just has this ridiculous hit rate with uh, pure athletes with, no with like, you know, not just Daniil Hunter, but Everson Griffin was the same way. Um, Steven Weatherly was just kind of a freak athlete in the seventh round. A lot of those guys, and, and Patterson has coached them all. But when it comes to tight ends, eh, it's a little dicey, so – and then, you know, we have a new tight ends coach, so I don't I don't know if you'd feel confident taking someone. I mean, I'd prefer someone like Hawkinson, but, yeah, you gave me three options, so I went with the one that was there. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. And I guess uh, the, the next question I have for both of you guys here, we're going into free agency. Like, legal tampering is right around the corner. Rumors are starting to fly already, as Eric, you know, alluded to. Uh, Kyle Rudolph's agent, you know, came out basically saying that there will be no restructure. Kyle will be with the team over the long term. But uh, as you guys are thinking about you know, some of the bigger free agent decisions the team needs to make over the, the next couple of days here, days and weeks, um, you know, Eric, if you're looking to, I guess, set the team up for the maximum amount of success with the decisions they have to make, kind of which way are you going? Which players are you really trying hard to keep and which ones are you OK letting walk out the door? Yeah, I think the the toughest one and and but the most I, I think the most straightforward one is is obviously letting Anthony Barr go. Um, you know, I'm you know I'm I grew up a Vikes fan. I'm obviously I still root for the team. Um, but uh, but I, I as a fan of the league, I sort of want to see Barr play for like a you know Detroit Lions, New England Patriots, sort of in that Dante Hightower role, that Kyle Van Noy role, where he like. I just think he would be such a defensive weapon in that spot that it would do the league a disservice to continue to play him as an off the ball linebacker in Zimmer's scheme, no matter, you know. So I think he's probably gone. I think um, if if I'm looking for somebody for the Vikings to retain, um, I think that I think that Sheldon Richardson is the player, uh, you know, for them to retain his 14th uh, this past season in, in pressures from the interior uh, of the defensive line. Um, he didn't have the great sack totals, but he certainly was somebody who was disruptive. Uh, I think you probably have to let Everson Griffin go. Um, and, you know, and honestly, I know this is going to make people mad. And I think, you know, I'm all for corners, but I, I've been really liked the way that the Vikings have, ad have aggressively addressed the position, not only in the first round, but also with Alexander in the second round and Holton Hill later on. Um, I think you try to see what you can get in a trade for Rhodes or Waynes um, because, you know, that's really going to free up cap space for them and they don't have a ton of flexibility. So those are players I'd probably think about in terms of subtractions. Rudolph, obviously, but it doesn't sound like that's feasible. Um, and then when I'm in free agency, I'm, I'm 
I think I think I'm looking for you know, it sounds it sounds strange, but I think if you're looking for offensive weapons, and you don't want to pay for the Golden Tates of the world, I think somebody like Adam Humphreys, I think somebody like uh, Cole Beasley would be really uh, you know affordable for them, um, and, and very effective in that sort of slot role. Uh, free agents on the offensive line are going to be tough to come by, but um, you know so. I would say, you know, weapons and free agency and offensive line in the draft kind of thing. Okay. Cole Beasley, Adam Humphreys, Eric going with the all grit team. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I got to find, I got to find some uh, non monochromatic comp. <laughs> <laughs> but, work. but like, but you know, like golden, like golden Tate's probably going to be expensive and he's certainly better than those two players, but they're those two so, like, if you think about in in the history of the Vikings, you know, one of the things that Brad Childers was actually really good at was he looked like I remember in 20, 2007, I wanted them to sign Daniel Graham, and and instead he signed Vasante Shanko, who was like younger, more athletic, and like unknown and cheaper. You know, in t- 2006, I wanted them to sign Edger and James, and they signed Chester Taylor, which is like the exact same thing. In 2007, they also signed Bobby Wade. When there were other, and then of course, like he went and got Barry in and Madhu Williams and stuff. Like he got like the sort of upper end of the spectrum sometimes, but there were other times when they sort of like went down the, you know, down the list. Now football is different now because we have PFF, we have everybody, you know, all we we have Twitter and all that. So everybody like nobody would know who Adam Humphreys was like five years ago, right? But since we all like you know are so obsessed with the game now, we know every like random player there is, but like. I think it would be, and Bobby Wade was super effective for the Vikings, and so was Shanko. So, like, I, I kind of think of like those types of signings right now would do the Vikings a world of good. Are there any of those types of signings that uh, that you could see for maybe like a veteran offensive lineman that would be a fit? Uh, I mean, that's yeah. I'd, I'd have to look. I you know I I saw the assembly thing. Uh, you know, came up today. Um, that you know that would have been one. Um, you know, so one of the ones that I proposed to, to, you know, when Mike, when, uh, one of our guys was writing, uh, a column and then somebody like Mitch Morse, who's the center right now, who was the center for Kansas city, who is much injured, but effective when he played, I think Kansas city is probably going to let him go. Cause they're staring down the barrel at Tyreek Hill and Chris Jones and possibly D Ford. Um, so, you know, somebody like that, I think like, I know like everybody really likes Alfine and like what he's done, you know, in his first couple of years, but. I'm a little bit more mixed, I think, on what I in, on what I believe he could do uh, for them. So somebody like that, I think, is going to be like sort of underpaid, uh, in my opinion. Um, I don't know. I that was the one name that came to my mind. Right. I might add um, the two Packers guards that um, Josh Sitton looks like he's going to be cut from Miami. He used to be the gold standard for pass protection as a guard, yeah. and. Um, Who's the other one? The other Packers guard. Yeah, TJ Lang Dolphins. was just cut by the Lions. Lang, yeah. So those those are two guys. I think Sitton's maybe more of a scheme fit. Obviously, Saffold's out there, but he's going to be outside the Vikings' price range. So got to find a bargain. There's rumors that the Vikings are interested in Jawan James from the Dolphins, their right tackle. Um, I don't know about that one, just because of the cap hit. But, yeah, if, if, there's a, if there's options out there, it might be a trade is the best bet. Oh, trade. So, Nick, what what do you got cooking up there? What are you thinking in terms of a trade? Like, it's getting thrown around a lot more. Eric's out here talking about maybe even moving a corner. 
if you were gonna make like a, a trade or a move, what kind of thing would you be looking at? Which teams would you be targeting in terms of uh yes, a potential trade or, or something you'd be looking to get back? Yeah, trades, I mean you gotta build a win-win and one of the places where the Vikings have a surplus of talent is at cornerback, which is a premium position. And I think it makes a lot of sense to trade Trey Waynes just because, um, you, you know, the, the the marginal cost of going from Trey Waynes on the outside to uh, Mike Hughes on the outside is uh, pretty low. I think Mike Hughes, um, you saw a lot of the talent there on, on tape, um, you know, not just like the pick six, but the way he clicks and closes his reaction time, how he jumps routes, how he reads routes, how he's his footwork, stuff like that. I think he was really impressive. So I'm not sure you'd see a big drop off there. Um, and, you know, you've also got Holton Hill there, too. So you, you've got some good outside corners. Um, so the marginal cost is low and the benefit is, you know, you'd get something big back. And obviously there are teams out there who see Trey Wayne's probably as like a their CB1, maybe even CB2. Um, so I think you could get a good return. The reason not to trade him is if you just let him walk next year, he probably gets CB1 money and you're getting a compensatory third. Um, but if you could get like a second round back or if you could get a, a decent offensive lineman back, I think that could be a win-win trade. So I think that makes sense. I probably, Rhodes, I think it makes a lot of sense to trade him just because his cap it is, enorm- his cap it is enormous. And, um, you know, obviously we saw his play drop off a little bit last year from where he was when he was first team All-Pro. Um, I I struggle with that a little bit just because Zimmer asks Rhodes to do about as much as like any corner in the NFL. It's like how many other corners are like you shadow the corner, the the wide receiver one all game, even if he goes into the slot and you have to defend the two way go. And also we're going to roll the sh- the safeties away from you every play. It's like we're going to run cover three, except Rhodes, you're on cover zero on their wide receiver one, wherever he goes. It's like yeah. it's 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 a lot that they ask of him. And and I don't think, you know, like Trey Waynes couldn't do that. Trey Waynes can't play the slot. Um so I think there would be schematic limitations. And a lot of like a lot of the guys that I like for the Vikings, like Anthony Barr, his post-snap play isn't amazing, but the, what the value he brings is like a, a pre-snap um, tinkerer and the way he affects the offensive line blocking protections. That's kind of what goes into Zimmer's, you know, Zimmer's now two years in a row, first time it's been done, best third down defense in the league. And that's kind of why I think so. Um I would definitely prefer trading Trey Waynes, and I think that could be a trade where you would find a win-win out there and make it a lot of sense. I mean, there's also yeah, been think, talk about Everson Griffin, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think I think Waynes does offer a lot of utility to like it's a diff, it's an asymmetric utility because like the Vikings to him, he's probably on the way out, and you know he's but to another team, I don't think he's going to be necessarily as expensive or <clears throat> lack excuse me lack the um, flexibility as Rhodes would um but the issue that the issue that that's going to come up with Xavier Rhodes is like uh, he all those things you said about him are true but he is an issue with penalties he's an issue with with injuries we see him like he comes out of games like almost every game and so there's always like it's always one of those issues where that might be something that you want to spin off on another team who you know maybe overvalues all the good things that that he brings which is probably eight tenths of his game but the two tenths of his game are things that are annoying and may may bleed into the you know the other eighty percent uh, as his contract gets you know further down the list and he becomes I think year by year a little bit more expensive. So um, I yeah I, I like his versatility too. I, I wonder sort of like if he has the you know, if he'll have the opportunity to maybe play uh, safety down the line. I know that's not really something that I mean Trey Wayne's a good tackler, but it's not like in a, a way that a safety tackles kind of thing. Or then yeah. Rogan's kind of got that body type where he could 
possibly slide in. And as we see defenses like five years ago, you know, the base defense was still four, three, but now it's, you know, it's probably going to be dying more so than anything in like five years. So if he could play kind of like a hybrid role, um, you know, it's just like what kind of flexibility does Zimmer have in the future type thing? I do. I, I would prefer Wayne's, but of course, like the league thinks less of him. So they might get less in return. It just, it just depends. Yeah, I think maybe the last point on this is I think if you're selling Rhodes right now, you're selling very low just because he had a big down year after being first team all pro. I think if you're selling Waynes now, you're probably closer to selling high because I think we're seeing about as good as he's going to get just because he has some some limitations in in how quick he is, how you know his, his hips are a little stiff. That's why he can't track into the slot. So maybe that's the reason to although, you know, it's not like Rhodes is an appreciating asset at like 29 years old or whatever. So. God, Rhodes is man, this team is getting old. Yeah. Well, that, and that's the tough part about the cousin situation is that like it feels, and and I don't think we felt it at the time either time, but it does feel like 2009 to 10 again, right? Where that 2009 defense, you're like, okay, Allen, Ray Edwards, Williams, Williams, EJ Henderson, right? Like Chad Greenway, uh, you know, Cedric Griffin, you know. Antoine Winfield and a couple safeties that we're not great about, but like that defense had a ton of great players. And then all of a sudden you get, okay, Cedric Griffin tears his ACL in the NFC championship game. That shouldn't be that big of a deal. EJ Henderson breaks his leg, right? Ray Edwards becomes a me, a me first guy. Pat Williams falls off a cliff. Kevin Williams falls slowly down a cliff. And then all of a sudden that t- 2010 defense is getting children fired against green Bay. Right. And it's like, it doesn't. It, I don't think it's going to be as precipitous with this group, but like also we see Everson, who is a brilliant Viking, probably a Ring of Honor type player. He might be gone. Anthony Barr might leave. You know, Sheldon Richardson was a one-year wonder kind of thing, but he probably he'll probably be gone. Uh, Linville Joseph, who knows, right? Like it's it's really an interesting kind of parallel. And you know, the thing about Favre, which was so clean, was that they could cut bait, right? Right after you know they. It was sort of always a one-year thing. But with Cousins, it's like if the defense falls off, it's like you're screwed kind of thing. So that's that's really, I yeah. think, the tough part about Cousins is that is that what happens next year if the Vikings defense is 15th in the league? Like, what's that team going to look like? And we still can't even get the Clemson quarterback. Right. And that's the big part about the discussion. So when we talk about, like, I, I like kind of like trolling people about Cousins more than anything. But, like, my my whole shtick is I don't think Cousins stinks. I think the Vikings quarterback situation stinks. And I think those are two different things, right? Yeah. And and that's like I I'm not saying that I think that Cousins is a better quarterback than Darnold when I say that or uh, yeah, Darnold's a better quarterback than Cousins when I say the Jets have a better quarterback situation. I'm saying that like I'd rather have that quarterback situation given all the variables than I would rather the Vikings. And and like that's I, I still think that's sound. Eric, does your window yeah. replacement model uh, build in um, like cap space? Is there a way to measure that? Well, uh, it does. It's not an input, but it's certainly something that we're using. So we do a trade simulator type thing, and right now it's mostly draft picks. But we're sort of moving into the space where we're going to allow players, and so um, we are going to do you know something akin to basically like wins per dollar type thing, um, but. I mean, the key feature, the key feature in our war model is that different facets of the game are differently important. And so um, 
it should be pretty if the league is rational and i think that there are some pockets of irrationality but if the league is rational it should be a pretty linear relationship between dollars and you know non-rookie year dollars spent and, and war um but you're gonna see some inconsistencies just because like when a cornerback has a brilliant year it's better than when an edge player has a brilliant year yeah i'm just wondering do you think kirk cousins is like a positive asset given his cabinets uh I think so. He's about a four-win player, which is pretty good, you know. And I think not bad, more than I yeah. would get. Yeah. I, so he's he and the receivers are making up for I think below replacement level offensive line play in many situations. So you're sort of yeah. like there's more to eat for them. Um, so, but uh, yeah, it's that's interesting. So Cousins is like a four-win player. Khalil Max, what like a one and a half, two-win player? Yeah, like, your your intuition in pretty contract. strong in her. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I would say Mac is, is the lesson Mac of this podcast is, that Kirk Cousins is underpaid. Uh <laughs> yeah, I it's, it's only because, tough I, because I it's tough because I don't think that any one of them is a it, I think they're all interconnected to some degree, but I do think that Cousins I do think you're getting what you're paying for with Cousins. My my whole contention was always that it was just never enough. Like it was it, Yeah. The, mar- the way that the market dictates you have to pay a veteran quarterback is not a winning strategy in the NFL. Oh, yeah. I think I think if you want to spin the hopeful outlook, I've been, you know, I've been I've been seeing a lot of talk about like, oh, well, it's an offensive league, it's a passing league, and defense is is not sticky, it's not stable. So the only way to win is to have an offensive head coach and a quarterback. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I think the best case scenario, though, is to have a defensive-minded head coach who can make your defense consistently successful um, and pair that with an elite quarterback. I think if you're building you know, your team from your best case scenario, that's where you get Carroll combined with Wilson or Belichick combined with Brady. And I think the Vikings have half of that equation in Mike Zimmer. I think he is um, probably close to, if not in the same caliber as a defensive play caller as Carroll. Um, I just don't think Kirk Cousins is going to live up to the comparison well, of Russell I, Wilson or Tom Brady. I think the only hole in that is the, is what we saw with Minnesota, which is when when an offense does a, a good job of, of oozing, you know, squeezing the juice out of the orange, they get hired as head coaches. Whereas if your head coach is already an offensive guy, he's going to be there forever, right? So, like, yeah. the continuity there, that's, in, like, that's inherent in having your – and having a guy that's already at the top of the mountain in terms of his profession, I think is the only thing against that, honestly. Like, so, so the, to the flip of that, I think what you have in LA, which is a brilliant offensive coordinator as the head coach, but also having a defensive coordinator who's content with being a defensive coordinator because they failed a few times as a head coach. Like if, you know, uh, Wade Phillips is, is I think the exact type of defensive mind you want to have uh, yeah. if you're in the LA Rams. Um, so like maybe Zimmer, Zimmer, Zimmer's next job, for example, if he ever leaves Minnesota, will probably be that role. If, if you're asking me. Yeah. And he'll be, and he'll be brilliant at it. Yeah. And he'll probably go and win the Super Bowl before the Vikings. Like, Hey, look, look, you're the Vikings are going to get an opportunity to draft Will Greer because he's being, he's being, it's yeah, undervalued to the T and if he gets in, you know, if the Vikes start out like 10 and three, maybe 
Maybe Kirk is ineffective and gets benched or gets hurt. Will Greer pulls a Jeff Hostetler on the whole, Nick Foles. You know, there's always hope. <laughs> there, there is always that. Well, gentlemen, I feel like we've covered everything that there was to cover. And uh, don't want to keep you guys too much later. This was a lot of fun. I feel like uh, well, folks folks will enjoy this one. A uh, lot of good points made by uh, by two very smart gentlemen. So thank you for, for coming on and, and recording with me this evening, I guess. Do either of you have anything you'd like to plug? Eric, I know that uh, I got my notification for uh, the forecast, I think, this morning. A new episode dropped. Uh, Nick, anything coming out from you that we should uh, have listeners be aware of? At some point, I'm going to have an article on Kirk Cousins' pocket presence. I've been rewatching all the all the end zone angles of every dropback he's had. Point of the point of the article is same thing that I put out on Twitter, which is you know it's it's not good, but it's a lot better than worst in the league, which seems to be the narrative after last year. So basically, it's it's there are a lot of things you can blame. I wouldn't. I'm not sure I would point to his pocket presence as the number one thing. So. That'll drop, I don't know, maybe this week if I get lucky at work. Okay. Eric, what about you, man? Yeah, so we have the, the PFF forecast, which is uh, up on iTunes and Podcast One and all that good stuff. I think I'm joining uh, Matthew Collar tomorrow on 15, on Score North is what it's called now, uh, to uh, to discuss Vikings free agency. Um, and then I think probably by the time Anthony Barr signs with another team, I'll have a, an article on sort of his impact on the Vikings and sort of, uh, you know, the the interesting ways in which they used him and how, how effective he was. So uh, pretty fun. And, you know, I, I'll have we'll, we'll have another uh, podcast out, I believe, on Thursday this week uh, um, at our, our normal time. I love the way I love the idea, by the way, of uh, Barr going to like the Patriots, because I can just totally see him being like a Hall of Fame caliber player in Belichick system. Just the way like they use Hightower and Van Noy. It would be insane. So. Yeah, I think Detroit is, you know, I think Detroit also, like, as much as Patricia might be overwhelmed by that job, I think he can, his his game plan against the Rams was exactly the one that the Patriots used against the Rams in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, they played him like week 13 or something. And, and so I think he would be extremely valuable in that role for them too. So just a, just a few, yeah, kind of interesting things to think about. Well, that's awesome, gentlemen. Uh, as I said, thank you, listeners. Thanks for sticking with us here. And uh, yeah, y'all have a good night. Eric, uh, enjoy the second half of the AAF. <laughs> <laughs>